Do take a seat. Uh, time to read the Bible now. Uh, our reading is Ephesians 2. We're going to actually read it off the screen. So um, uh, eyes up on the screen will be probably easiest for you this time. Uh, and the reason we're going to do that is, well, this passage is a great part of the Bible, Ephesians 2, 11 to 22. It's really exciting. Some of it, though, is a little bit complicated. It's got some words in there which need explaining. And when we first read it, we might think, what was that about? But there is a word, one word, which really helps us to understand what's happening, and it's the word one, O-N-E, one. So here's what we're going to try. I'm going to read the passage for us, but every time you see the word one, join in. Just that word, one. Top tip, lots of the one words are together in just a few verses, sort of in the middle of the passage. But there's a sneaky one near, right near the beginning. So that's your practice run to see if you're awake, all right? Right at the start, there's a sneaky one snuck in. Ready? Join in with me when you see the word one. The Apostle Paul is writing, really, to people a lot like us. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh, that's his body, the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Let's pray for God's help before we look at some of that together. Father, we thank you very much for your word. Thank you for what you've done in the church, making us one family. Help us to understand more and more this morning what that really means. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're wondering, by the way, where the sneaky one went, uh, I picked the wrong translation, so there we go. <laughs> I failed the test. You guys did very well. Here's what we're thinking about today. We are God's family. 
Uh, last time we thought together, those of us who stayed in this room thought together about what a church is. And we said together that it's not a building, it's not this shiny new auditorium. The church is a group of people, and you can see the people as you look around. But how are we supposed to relate to one another in this group of people, the church? We relate to different people differently, don't we? Look, I know none of your head teachers looks, looks like this, right? It's a bit of a silly picture, really. But some of you might be starting school, or some of you might be um, starting a new week at work. Maybe you're even starting a new job, and you've got a boss, sort of like the equivalent of head teacher. Now, if you are starting a new job or a new school, let me encourage you not to walk up straight up to the head teacher and pinch them in, on the cheek or ruffle their hair. You don't do that to your head teacher. You don't do that to your boss if you want to keep your job. Because they're not your brother or sister, are they? They're your boss. But what about Christians? What are we to each other? Well, Ephesians 2, which we've just read, said that we used to be strangers. We used to be strangers. Oh, here we go. We used to be strangers to God and to his people. Let me show you that. Here we go. This is what we said. Therefore, remember that formerly before, you who are Gentiles by birth, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners or strangers to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. Now notice, it doesn't say, that underlined word isn't the word Christian, is it? Is it? It's the word Gentile. Anybody want to stick their hand up or even just shout it out? What does Gentile mean? Anybody know what Gentile means? It doesn't matter what age you are. What's a Gentile? Yes. Well, it's true that some, some people would have thought of that, particularly in the Old Covenant. Anybody else able to add to that? I can't remember where that, I couldn't hear where that came from, but that was absolutely right. Grant, thank you very much. Non-Jews. In the Bible, it simply means people who aren't Jewish, all right? You've got Jews and Gentiles, and the whole world in the Bible could be divided into those two. Now, I won't do a show of hands here, but I reckon that most of us here would therefore be Gentiles. Some of us might have some uh, Jewish family, some Jewish ancestry, but most of us, therefore, are Gentiles, which means that we are, people like us are right here in this section. We're Gentiles, but most of the people, particularly in those, those Old Testament stories, were Jews, weren't they? So, uh, what Bible story is this? Shout it out. Yeah, I think it was there in the murmur. It's supposed to be David and Goliath, all right? You can see uh, David here on the left and big Goliath on the right. Now, David is, what is he? Is he Jew or Gentile? He's Jewish, right? He's Jewish, and big, scary, mean, nasty Goliath is the Gentile. Lots of the stories, therefore, are about the Jews in the Old Testament. And before Jesus came, being a Jew, I'm going to have great fun with this, being a, being a Jew... Oh, this, this might be, the whole talk might go like this, actually. <laughs> Never use PowerPoint. Uh, being a Jew was great. Why? Because you had the Bible. You had God's own words given to you to read or to hear being read. You had God's special house. We thought about that a bit last week. 
You could walk out of your house as a Jew in parts of the Old Testament, and there was a great big wonderful building where God lived. Nobody else could say that. Nobody else in the world could say that. And you as a Jew were one of God's special people. And not many other people could say that either. So being a Jew was wonderful, but being a Gentile, much harder. You, you'd probably never heard God's word or any, any of God's answers in his book, the Bible. You were a long, long, long way away from the temple where God lived in Jerusalem, and a long, long, long way away from God's people, the Jews. Being a Gentile was very div difficult. But you were strangers to God and his people. More than that, often you were, in the stories, you were enemies, weren't they? Think about this one. So David's the Jew, Goliath's the Gentile, most of us are Gentiles, which means that if we'd been alive at this point, chances are we might have been on Goliath's team. It's a shocking thought, isn't it? We were on the enemy's side, probably, if we'd been around then. So before Jesus came, it was like there was this great wall, a wall between God and many of those Gentiles, and between those Gentiles and God's people the Jews. It was a terrible situation to be in. Uh, look at that last sentence, underlined. This is what it was, would have been like to have been a Gentile before the Lord Jesus, without the Lord Jesus. It says, you'd be without hope, totally hopeless, and without God in the world. But here's the good news that we're beginning to celebrate together. God has made us friends. God has made us friends. Now, we're going to need the adults' help for this one. We're looking for history buffs. This is quite hard, actually. It's not a very good photo either. Anybody know what this is? Ah, brilliant. Someone's very sharp. This is what's called the Berlin Wall. It's part of the Berlin Wall. The Berlin Wall was very long. This is just a tiny little bit of it. At Berlin, the capital city of Germany, and in 1961, when some of us were alive, a great wall was built right through the middle of the city. If you lived on one half of Berlin and your best friend lived on the other half of Berlin, suddenly you couldn't go and see them anymore. You weren't allowed to visit them. You could leave your house, you could walk right up to that wall, but that's as far as you were allowed to go. You could try to climb it, but you'd have to climb over barbed wire. And if you got to the other side of the first wall, you discover that there's a second wall, and in between those two walls, big scary guys with big scary guns and big scary dogs telling you to turn around and go back. And that wall was standing in some form for, what was it, almost 30 years or so. That's a long time. That's longer than many of us here have been alive. No chance to see your friends, no chance to hug your grandparents or your grandchildren, separated, a great wall between you. And then, on the 9th of November, 1989, the Berlin Wall was finally knocked down. And for the people of Berlin, it was such a happy day. For the first time in so long, they could see each other again, talk to each other, hug each other. They were finally reunited. And that's kind of a small picture of the great big thing that the Lord Jesus has done in his death on the cross. But now, says Ephesians 2, verse 11, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away 
have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups, Jew and Gentile, in the Lord Jesus, one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. It's as though when the Lord Jesus died, for everybody who would put their trust in him, it's as though he knocked down the great wall that stood between us and God and between us and God's people. He brought people like us back into a friendship with God and a friendship with each other. And there's a, quite an easy way to remember those two things, and that's actually by looking at the cross. Can you see this giant cross here going all the way up to the ceiling and all the way along? Look at the two pieces that form the cross. It reminds us that when Jesus died, he made peace, he made friends both between us and God, all the way up to heaven and down to earth, and he made friends between Christian and Christian. He made us at peace. He made us friends together. And that means that it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter whether you're Jewish or Gentile or tall or short, or whether you look like this, or you look like that, or you sound like this, or you sound like that, or you're very, very, very old, or you're very, very, very young. Anyone who puts their trust in the Lord Jesus becomes friends with God and joins God's special people. And it really is anyone. Just think about our church family met together this morning. And think about how very different we are in all sorts of ways. Uh, Hands up if you've got uh, blue eyes. Have a look around, quite a few. Hands up if you have brown eyes, uh, green eyes, another color, red eyes. Red eyes, didn't sleep very well last night, just woken up for a nap. Welcome back. Okay, what about um, hands up if you're male? Hands up if you're female? Hands up if you were born in the UK? Hands up if you were born outside the UK? We are a very different group. We could do that forever, couldn't we? We could list all of the differences we have, some more significant than others. But we've been brought together. God makes us friends by the cross through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. More than that, though, and this is where we're going to come back to in a couple of moments, he doesn't just make us friends. We are God's family. But what does that mean? Well, we're going to sing, and then we're going to think about what it means to be God's family. Now, we know this song now. We've learned it. So this is a chance to sing it all the way through. Let's stand together and celebrate being God's family.
So, in part one, we saw that we are God's family. That's where we finish. God has brought us together because of Jesus' death on the cross into one new family. And now we just need to ask ourselves, or ask God in his word, what does it mean to be God's family? Let me show you that that is what we're talking about. Here's one of the verses we read earlier. You are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people. You're joined with God's people and also members of his household. Household there really means his family. We're part of his family. So what difference does it make? Well, here's a couple of differences it's going to make to be part of his family. Here's the first one. We have a new father. Now, that's what it said in our reading. Through him, we both have access to the father by one spirit. Both Jew and Gentile, everyone who trusts in Jesus now has access to God and calls him Father. Now, what does that mean, access to the Father? Well, here we go. We, we, again, we need the history buffs. It wasn't designed to be a history lesson, but that's sort of what it's become. Um, I don't, I'm not too fussed about the name of this person, though that would be good. But can anybody tell me what the job of this person is and roughly where they are? Good. President of... President of the United States of America, very good. And anybody know what room that is? The Oval Office. The Oval Office. Ah, I'm glad you know. Uh, the Oval Office. All right. So we're talking about here one of the most powerful men in the world. Now, this is a, an old photo, all right? This is back in the 1960s or so. Um, president Kennedy. So this is a while ago. This isn't the current um, president, but they still use the same room. This is one of the most powerful people in the world at the time. In one of the most powerful rooms in the world at the time, and in one of the most powerful countries in the world at the time, and still the same today in the U United States of America. Now, how do I get access to this man? Imagine I decide I'm gonna try. I think I really wanna, I wanna go and see the president of America, right? So, uh, how, how close do you think I could get? Well, I could get on a plane, I could book my tickets, and I would land in uh, Washington, D.C., 
and I would find uh, the White House on Google Maps or whatever, or I'd get a cab over to the White House, and I'd walk up to the White House, and I'd get as far as the, the gates, probably on the edge of the, I don't know how close you can get actually, but I imagine I'd get to the gates on the edge of the, the beautiful lawns and grass, and uh, what would happen? Big burly security guard with a big gun, hand out, sorry sir, no further. Forget getting into that room, I couldn't even get into the building. I'm not sure I could even get into the grounds around the building. I would have no access to the president. Wait a minute though, what's going on here? Because how has this lad managed to get in, into the room? I'm not allowed there. Can you see the lad here? Sitting right under the president's desk. Anybody know why it is that that child there, that little boy, is allowed right under the president's desk. Yeah. It's his son. Exactly right. It's the president's son. Not just anybody can approach the president, but there is somebody who has access to the president basically whenever they want it. Who is it? His children. In this case, his son. And again, that's a little picture of what it's like when we become a Christian. We're talking about somebody far more powerful, far more amazing, far more important, even than the president of America. We're talking about the creator God of the whole world, the whole universe. The God that we shouldn't be allowed to just walk into his office anytime we like. But we can when we become his children. In fact, he tells us to. He commands us to. He says, come to me, speak to me. Tell me what's on your heart. Talk to me whenever you like. Really, about whatever you like. Any time of day, wherever you are. Uh, you can come and tell me what you think of me. Maybe we want to tell God that we think he's wonderful. You're so kind to me. You're so good to me. We can tell him that. We can have access to him whenever. Because he's our father. Uh, maybe we want to say sorry to him. Well, he says, you can come to me whenever you like. I'm your father. We want to say thank you for the kind and good things he gives us. You can come to me whenever you like. I'm your father. We need to ask him for help because we're not able to cope on our own. We never really are, are we? He says, you can come to me. I'm your father. And he, he tells us, don't just call me God. When Jesus teaches us to pray, how does he begin? Our father. I'm your father now. You can come to me. You have access to me whenever you like. So this, this week, remember that. Whatever's going on in your life, Come to God as your father. Tell him what's on your heart. Tell him what you need. Tell him what you think of him. Tell him when you're sorry for the things that you've done or thought or said. Remember, he is your father. You have a new father. And what else? Well, this is where we're going to finish. This is where we're going to finish together because the Bible also tells us that when we become a Christian, when we join the church, we have new brothers and sisters. And that means that we need to relate to each other as brothers and sisters, to love each other, to look out for each other, to support each other and encourage each other, to cry together, to laugh together, to share our lives in love and kindness and forgiveness together. Sadly, it doesn't always work that way, does it? Uh, imagine a, a family meal time, okay? The family is sitting around the dinner table 
and there are the four children in this particular family, and the dad notices that none of the children are talking to each other. I'm sure this never happens in your families, right? But let's just imagine, stretch your imagination, none of the children are talking to each other. Dad notices. It's been going on a little while, and he's starting to worry. Why aren't they talking to each other? And so he asks one of the children, and they finally stop staring at their plate, and they talk to their father without looking at any of their brothers and sisters, and they say, well, we were having a conversation earlier, we were playing around with the keyboard, and we realized that none of us really seem to like the same music. They like that kind of music, they like that song, they, he really doesn't like that song at all, that's the worst song he's ever heard, and I don't like any of the music any of the rest of them listen to, so we've decided we're never going to talk to each other again. Now you say, Simon, that is silly. That would never happen. And yet, sometimes it even happens in churches. You know, if you belong to a church, you'll find that we don't always agree on everything. And maybe it is music. You think, oh, I can't stand that song, or I can't stand whatever it is. Or maybe it's something like COVID. It's been a difficult few years, hasn't it? And not just difficult in a general sense, but difficult in a particular church sense. The pandemic has meant we've had to make decisions about lots of things. And we haven't always agreed on those decisions. We've had strong opinions on things like masks, wearing them or not wearing them, or vaccines or whatever else it is. We've had strong opinions. We haven't always agreed on them. The thing is, it's fine to have strong opinions, isn't it? It's quite normal. Often, it's quite healthy to have strong opinions on things. But what are we going to do when we disagree on things like that? Or we could decide, well, we're never going to talk to each other again. <laughs> or we could remember, no, wait, we're family. We're family. Whatever else we disagree on, whatever else we don't see eye to eye on, we're family. So we're going to keep working hard to love each other and forgive each other and accept each other and support each other, no matter how crazy and how wrong we think the other person is on whatever the issue is at the time. There will be more. This won't be the last time something comes into church life and pushes us to work through difficult issues. It will come again, something like it. Let's keep loving each other as a family together. All right, so imagine instead now that the, the family are... Uh, they're playing. Oh, we skipped over that one. Uh, the family are playing, and uh, Dad notices now that um, three of the children are playing together, and one of the children is always being left out, never included. And so Dad goes to one of the three children and says, hang on, wh what's going on? Why are you never playing with that one person over there? And they say, after a bit of pushing, they eventually say, well, we've finally noticed that we all have brown hair, and he's got blonde hair. I think, Simon, that's such a silly example. That would never happen. Well, maybe not. But something like that can sometimes happen, even in churches like ours. It's good and healthy, for example, isn't it, to have close friendships in church. People that we find it easy to talk to, people that we like to sit next to on a Sunday or meet up with regularly, and this last few years, the pandemic has made us really appreciate our close friends. We've learned to rely on them and depend on them, haven't we? But there's always a danger, isn't there, if we're not careful, that close friendships in church 
become closed friendships, and we call them cliques. Now, it feels quite good to be inside a closed friendship group or a clique, but it feels horrible, doesn't it, to be left out, to be on the outside. So we need to just keep agreeing together that because we're a family, we don't do cliques. We don't only spend time with our close friends in church, and we don't only spend time with people who look or sound or behave like us. Now look, we could do that, couldn't we? Now that we've got movable chairs downstairs, a bit more difficult to do upstairs, but now we've got movable chairs, we could move them all into groups, and we could say, right, that's for this kind of person, and that group's for this kind of person, and that's for that kind of person, and we'd never mix the groups. And we could only spend time with people who are just exactly like us. But God has made us a family. He's deliberately brought different people together to show the world what he's done in the Lord Jesus at the cross. It's a wonderful thing when we accept each other, no matter our differences, when we work hard at this together. So, so look, let me, let me ask us some questions about this that might be worth asking. How often are we welcoming and spending time with new people? Just test yourself here. When did you last really get to know someone new? And I don't just mean a sort of polite hello, but really got to know them, spent time with them. How often are we spending time with people who aren't very much like us? And maybe they're not from the same country as us, or not the same age as us, or they're from a different background. God loves to see families loving each other. He sees all of our differences. He sees us working hard to be one family, and he's delighted. God has made us one family. Different people from different places with different opinions on a whole range of things and different looks and different accents and different everything else. But now in Jesus, we have one father, and we are one family in him. So let's keep loving each other as God's family. Let's keep working hard to include each other. Let's keep looking for chances to welcome one another into our family as well. Let's look out particularly for people that might not feel they fit in with us, might not feel that they belong, they might not look like a classic Duke Street person, whatever we think that is. That's what families do. That's what we are. We used to be strangers. But God has made us friends. More than that, God has made us his family. Let's pray together and give thanks for all that God has done in the Lord Jesus. Father, we thank you so much for what you've done for us. We used to be far away, without hope, without you in the world. But now in the Lord Jesus, you have brought us back together again. You've knocked down every wall that stood between us and you and between Christian and Christian. Please help us to live as a family together. You know it's been difficult the last few years in all sorts of ways. Lord, please help us as we move forward together, not to build back any walls that you've knocked down. Help us to be one family, loving each other in every way possible. In Jesus' name, amen.